0: And welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, Role Playing Games Edition, a once-a-month show where we talk about role playing game topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher.
1: I'm Kitty, and I'm Chris. This week, we're talking about a game Chris has promised to run for us in two weeks: Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition. How is this different from D and D? Why is he only running one session of it? Why would we want to play more? Are horror role-playing games actually scary? And why is Chris so obsessed with Cthulhu?
2: But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara I went with, and the Gifted Games in Gray's Lake. Also, a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. And I'm only minorly obsessed with Cthulhu, but only because the games around that mythos are really kind of not bad. Um if you would like to join us on our live shows on Monday night, 8.30 Central Time, you can by going to tabletopgametalk.com slash live and clicking the link there, and you get to hear about all kinds of pre-show conversations. This week was Car Wars. I talked a lot about Car Wars, and I will talk some more about Car Wars in the future, but not today, because today we're talking about Cthulhu. How
0: were you guys' weekends?
1: Very nice. I went on vacation with my mom, and it was it was a lot of fun. Aw.
0: Oh. Um, oh. Carmen and I cleaned up from the wedding that we had the, pre, the weekend before. <laughs> which,
2: which was also very nice. And, and Christopher just reminded me via sticky note, because I missed it in the chat, that I didn't turn on my backup recording. Which hopefully no one will know the difference of, but I just wanted to give Christopher a, a public thank you. And this is why you should join us in the <laughs> live chat. Um, yeah, so how is the wedding cleanup? Are you, are you finally recovered from everything? Because you guys didn't go on an immediate honeymoon.
0: No, we we did not. Um, It's going pretty good. So we got like a bunch of we bought a bunch of our decorations. um, So we got a bunch of them back and we're you know trying to figure out like we had to figure out where to store them. And then also just a bunch of gifts that come and we are bursting out of our small condo with all this new stuff that we got. So we're trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do with it.
2: I'm going to publicly shame myself and say I have not yet got you a gift but um you don't I'm, need to get me a gift <laughs> 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 i was i was thinking like a, a a game store gift card or something though it just felt right but um, <laughs> you can get me a new recorder <laughs> yeah, so i can get you a new recorder oh that's amazing that's a great gift for that's both a great of us idea, yeah it's like giving <laughs> you, you a bowling a ball with my and, initials on it
0: yeah <laughs> and and a, and a boom and a boom mic stand attached to my desk <laughs>
2: done done and done I like it. Um, also, Kitty, there's a new addition to your family, not your immediate family. No. I, <laughs> Surprise. I <have> a new
1: <laughs> But I do have a new niece just born on the 29th. So, yeah, we're very excited. We were over there visiting this evening. Um And my daughter, player four, I think, tried to take that baby home with her. She was so excited. (laughs) I've never seen a one year old so like but she always loves stuffed animals, baby dolls, like those are her favorite toys to play with. So I'm not surprised that she was like, Oh, a new niece, this is my baby doll. Bye guys. (laughs) Trying to walk away with the newborn.
2: And your and your niece has the same birthday as Christopher's son, so
1: it's the same birthday as my brother as well. It's, uh, it's a fancy and crowded birthday apparently yeah.
2: wow <laughs> crazy well again that was our pre-show we got to see pictures of the baby so again another reason why you should join us mondays 8 30 central time <laughs> yeah i um let's see i took i was gonna take zachary downtown on saturday and ride the train because he's super into trains um but then he literally pooped on the floor in the playroom so i'm like yeah i can't reward you for that But he got better the next day. So I'm like, okay, we can go downtown. So we went downtown. We went to uh, Mayor or Maggie Daly Park, which, if you're not familiar with Chicago, is um, Mayor Daly was our mayor for quite some time. And then he built a park um, just next to Millennium Park of like just like a bunch of little kids' sections. And this park is amazing for kids of five Mm -hmm. plus um zachary's two and a half so there was like two places he could go where i'm like you won't plummet to your death in this area um (laughs) (laughs) but so i planned on going down and staying a couple hours and riding the train back and we missed the two-hour train because he fell asleep in the stroller and had he done that about 15 minutes earlier i think we would have still made the train but he didn't so we were going someplace else and then by the time we got there i I literally just watched him sleep in the stroller by Buckingham fountain for two hours, um, which was still very nice. I had my iPad with me, and I and he just – he had a great time, and now he's just constantly talking about, can we go on the train? Can we go on the train? I'm like, um, when you have mastered potty training, we can go on the train far more often. <laughs> but I spent the entire day Sunday panicked that I'm going to have to deal with, like, accidents all over the place. I didn't, though. He did great. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was my weekend, but – and my fantasy, for those who are following my fantasy Football League, which is me, um, I won this week., <laughs> <No> so <one. laughs> so we're doing good. Um, yeah, so I, I think' I'm, I'm three and one as of this week. All right, we don't have a Spencer with us, and I was really looking forward to chatting with Spencer about this topic.
1: Yeah, since he's the only one, I think, besides you who has played in this system before.
2: Yes. And we both played at Game GameholeCon, which is coming up in three weeks. I want to say the 20th-ish. some One of the 20s in this month. Um, now I'm – it's the weekend with a 20 in it. So the 23rd, 22nd, 23rd. So I will be in Madison, Wisconsin at Game GameholeCon if anyone's there. Uh, let me know and we'll kind of meet up and play some games because I have nothing on the books. I'm not doing anything. I'm not playing anything. So you want to play a game – You want to teach me a game, you want me to teach you a game, just let me know and I'll make that happen. But we played in a version of Call of Cthulhu, 7th edition, that was a multi-table event. And this has been run at mini cons over the last, like, I want to say like five years or so. And all of the tables kind of interact with each other in a cool way. Now, I'm not going to spoil any of this because Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game, is all about catching the players off guard, basically putting the players in a situation where they kind of feel like their characters are feeling because they don't know what's going on. Or it's just it... the first question I have here and Kitty, you've listened <laughs> to an actual play, right? And Fletcher, I, I will say the first question in a second, but Fletcher, what is your experience with Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game at all? Anything?
0: Uh, zero. Zero. Perfect. Awesome.
2: <laughs> Kitty, what is your experience with Call of Cthulhu?
1: Um, so I've heard Spencer talk a lot about this um, one-off that he played in. Uh, I think it's called Gatsby and the Great Race. Yes. Correct me. Yeah. So if you look for that at a con, um, it gets run. It's I've heard nothing but good things. Um, and then I listened to an actual play where they play Delta Green, which is sort of the same, but not quite the same. Um, and I've heard, like, part of an actual play where they play actual Call of Cthulhu. But, yep. um, yeah. So so those are my experiences.
2: <laughs> All right. So I'm going to skip. We're going to talk about how this is different than D&D. Um, but I want to do skip to uh, Call of Cthulhu versus Delta Green because you could hear both of these things. And they're almost interchangeable. But Call of Cthulhu 7th edition is what we're talking about. It's been out for like eight years now. Um, But just I'll probably just stop saying 7th edition in a second. It's set in the 1920s by default. The only reason it's set in the 1920s by default is because that's when Lovecraft wrote these stories and he wrote Mm -hmm. them in present day. So typically what we do is when we're doing Call of Cthulhu-y or Cthulhu mythos stuff, it's set in the twenties. There are versions of it set in the 40s as well for reasons I'm not sure. But the role-playing game has a 20s setting and a modern setting, and you and it has multiple other settings. There's been World War II yeah. settings, there's been Western settings. There's like it's been all over the place. Delta Green is set in modern day, but as if you were like government operatives investigating these events. Yes. Is that
0: right? They're like the men in black. Kind of. Exactly. But yes. for Horror and Cthulhu. Yeah, or FBI agents. You're like Scully and Mulder. Yes.
1: You operate adjacent to the government. You're not like a a part of the government, but you are often like tied up with government agencies or people who are part of Delta Green who are also FBI agents, who are also Mm. involved in the government. So you, you get a lot of official resources, but you are not sanctioned by, and the government doesn't really understand everything. So it's sort of paramilitary and so like you can really take it in a lot of different ways you can make it work for your game but it's always kind of sort of official all
2: right now before we get too ahead of ourselves fletcher what do you know of the cthulhu mythos in general
0: um uh, basically what we've already talked about like it is kind of like a horror horror genre that was i guess pioneered or developed by hp lovecraft set in the 20s and 30s um, I've played Mansions of Madness, I've played a few other like Cthulhu adjacent games. Um, but that's pretty much it. I I wouldn't consider myself like a big fan or any I'm not, not a fan. It's just not um a genre that I play a lot of games in.
2: You know more about Marvel cinematic universe than you do Lovecraft <laughs> and horror.
0: Yes, I do. Or Star Trek or even Star yes. Wars.
2: <laughs> Kitty, can you give us an overview? Because you grew up with Cthulhu.
1: Um, not really i mean i've been aware <laughs> of cthulhu but um i put myself in the same campus fletcher where i think i know more about marvel star trek and star wars than i know about cthulhu um i just um i don't know have you have read sort any of, of the books i have not read any of the I, yeah maybe i read one of the short stories i they're think really i read bad. yeah they're it's <laughs> not very engaging the book has been around my house for a long time um I don't know, but it never really called to me. I watched um, True Detective season one,
2: <laughs> which is barely, barely. It has barely some Cthulhu s stuff adjacent. in it. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I did. Um, a I mysterious saw bits and package of,
2: of Lovecraft con-
0: Country. County. I
2: was. I was just yeah. gonna say, if you want to get a crash course on the Cthulhu mythos, watch Lovecraft Country. That does in one season everything you'll ever need to know about the Cthulhu Mythos. It's Carmen watched it.
0: Carmen watched it, and I saw like bits and pieces of it. It seemed interesting, but it was really hard for me to follow because I wasn't watching it. You know,
2: you have to actually. Yeah, it's one of those shows where you have to actually sit down in front of the TV and watch it. You can't multitask.
1: Yeah, I did a uh, mysterious package company gift for Spencer one time, loosely based on The King in Yellow. Um, so yeah, those, those are most of my experiences, but I've also like, you know, I've been around it, but kind of purposely not delved into it. Um, cause it's just not really my thing, but, uh, and then it became too popular and now I can't <laughs> like it because it became popular and yeah, you know, I'm a contrarian like that. So.
2: <laughs> but you both agreed. So I texted you guys a couple weeks ago saying, Hey, and this, I texted our our D and D group, "Hey, one off of Cthulhu Seventh Edition. What are you thinking?" And this is because I was at Gen Con, and I've I never liked Cthulhu. I never wanted to like Cthulhu. I've mentioned this before. And then I started playing Arkham Horror, the card game, Mansions of Madness, a lesser to a lesser extent, and Cthulhu: Death May Die. And I just kind of got drawn into wanting to know more about the mythos, which I still it's not my favorite type of story or, or genre. But the way that stories are told in it are very interesting to me. And the games around it tend to be really good at times. Like, there's a lot of bad games, I'm sure, too. So when I saw the Cthulhu, or or, yeah, Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, and I've seen it for many, many years, I finally said, okay, I'm just going to do this, and we're going to play a game of it. And that's where the text message came from. So let me try to give a quick overview of the Cthulhu mythos, and it's gonna this is gonna be super high level, but generally speaking, there are these the elder beings. So there's there's actually it's a tiered system. So you have the elder gods, which we don't even know the names of most of them, um, and then you have these sleeping like elder um, you know, ancient ones and things like that, which is actually Cthulhu himself, um, and then you have these like various. Uh, uh, supernatural monsters like ghouls and those types of things that are in that arena of they want to attack you. And then you have cultists who are trying to bring these elder ones back. So that's that's generally the premise, which is fine. And if you were to drop that in a D&D setting, you'd be like, okay, fine, just another monster to slay. Which is why these monsters don't really work well in a fantasy Dungeons & Dragons campaign. You see this weird stuff all the time. Let's just draw our magic weapons and and kill these things. The reason why it works for modern, with 1920s on, is because these are things that us, if we were to see tentacles oozing out of a wall, that would probably freak us out a little bit, right? Not not something, and Kitty's nodding, not something...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
2: yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I've only been
0: doing this podcast for five, five years. <laughs> <laughs> Unless but you are not, an
2: octopus. Yes. But these are the types of things like you wouldn't really expect. Now, if you're role playing a and d character and you see tentacles coming out of the wall, you're like, okay, fine. I draw my sword and, and slash at the tentacles. But if you're like, what would you do if you saw this? And you're like, I'd freak out, right? And that's the fundamental difference, I think, between Dungeons and & Dragons and Call of Cthulhu, which both came around the same time. Dungeons & Dragons was released in 74. I think the first Call of Cthulhu was either late 70s or very early 80s. It was right around the same time there was a, a rush of these types of games. Um, but the idea essentially was your characters have a certain amount of sanity. And just knowing that these things exist, they're going to drive you insane. Like, you can't know that this stuff is real without losing your mind. That's the premise of a Cthulhu Mythos campaign. Which is also why you typically don't have Cthulhu Mythos campaigns. Because your characters, the more (laughs) they know, the more they go crazy.
0: It doesn't last very long. It
2: doesn't last very long. At least you
1: usually don't have campaigns that have, like, one set of, you know, heroes that go through the whole time. Like, no one in these settings is a hero. They are people who are, like, accidentally exposed most of the time. Who were not like, oh, we're, like, prepared for this. Like, this is what we are, like, out to do. No, it's just like, this is what happened to someone.
2: Yes. And a lot of the Cthulhu games really capture that. So, I've talked about, you know, Cthulhu Death May Die ad nauseum, but one of the things in there, it is a scenario-based game, and by the end of that scenario, you may or may not save the world, but you are likely have gone crazy. Like, that's just... Somebody is sacrificing themselves to win that game at the end, every single time. Or everyone sacrificed themselves in the world end. Like, that is the premise of these games. When you look at Arkham Horror the card game, you are going crazy at every step of the process. And by the end of a particular campaign... You are too traumatized, like literally in that game, traumatized to continue to another campaign. You're not taking that same character to another campaign. And Mansions of Madness is the same thing, right? It's, it's that sanity aspect of it. It's like, you can't deal with this multiple times. You're just be like, no, I'm done. I, I, no. And I think that is a very cool game setup and mechanic, but it, it like you said, it does not lead to long-term stuff.
1: So I will say there are, like, in-game mechanics, though, of, like, how to regain your sanity. And there are some ways that, like, I think it can be really cool kind of role-playing these, like, in-between session moments where you get to choose how you spend your downtime kind of between missions to – you can, like, see a therapist, but then you, like, risk spilling secrets and there's, like – Pros and cons to all of these ways of like you can like damage your relationships to regain sanity. You can like do all sorts of things so you can regain sanity, but there's going to be other costs. In so no matter what, there's no like good outcome to this exposure to. There's no the, like I
0: take a long rest and I regain too <laughs> sanity. No, and now I'm totally you fine. Do yeah, take
1: a long, long totally rest and now. regain everything. No, <laughs>
2: nope. And well, and the game is very skill based too. Like you can go through an entire game and never ever enter combat. In fact, that's your goal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a giant monster coming after you. The last thing you actually want to do is stand toe to toe to it because this thing has tentacles, and oh, it's on all sides of me. I'm just going to run away. Like that's sort of the a big difference is a Call of Cthulhu game is about figuring out what the problem is, not necessarily heading on like face on I'm going to attack it guns blazing.
1: You're also usually trying to stop others from being exposed to it. So it's not that your like goal is to um like kill the monster. Your goal is usually to like contain the knowledge because there's a lot of like ways where you, you can't defeat these creatures. They're just like too powerful and too crazy. Um but you can like you know that you have already learned too much. You cannot be saved, but like you can save others from the fate that you have like come into contact with. And like, that's kind of your goal is to like, I want to save the sanity of others because it's too late for me.
2: Yes. Now, the game system, the actual mechanics, I sent you guys a quick start reference. Um, And Fletcher, you had never... You had not been introduced to this system at all, and you had a chance to all. browse over that reference. Um, can you summarize what you learned in the few minutes that you looked at these few pages?
0: <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'll try. Uh, the characteristics, which is, I don't know, like in D and D, kind of like your stats, they're kind of the same as Dungeons and Dragons. I guess, you know, most people are familiar with like, strength, charisma, dexterity, constitution. Um, there's a few other ones here that are kind of interesting. Uh, like there's size, there's a size stat and an appearance stat, which is not technically charisma, but it is kind of like charisma. Um, and the way, at least in this quick start guide, you uh, uh, it's not a point by you just kind of like it says, like, here are your points, like distribute these among, you know, your eight stats here. And then there's this like half and fifth rule that. I kind of skimmed over and I wasn't exactly sure (laughs) when does this come into play. So, for example, it's like, uh, where is this thing here where it gives the strength? uh, I can't find it. Well, in any case, um, it says like, you know, say you give your character a strength of 60, which is one of the values. 40, 50, 50, 50, 60, 60, 70 and 80. Um, And then so your strength is 60. But then there's the half rule. Where sometimes I guess you need to use like half the value, which would be 30. And then there's other times where you use like the fifth value, which would be 12. And I don't exactly know how and when that comes into play, but apparently yeah. it does.
2: Yeah. So essentially what it is, is it's a, unlike D&D, which is a 3 to 18 system, this is a percentage system. So you're going to be from 0 to 100. Um, I So what's funny about it, and you can see how this game had its roots and creation around the same time that D&D was made because there are random generation rules where you roll a 3d6 and multiply the value by five to get your final stat. Um, the point by in the quick guide is is the way I would do it. We're not rolling stats, but it's kind of funny. You're still rolling 3d6 and multiplying by five. But the way that works is so if you have that strength of 60, and it's a, you know, an easy task for 60, but hard enough where you have to make a roll, you just have to roll 60 or less on a percentage dice. So you roll 2d10, and one is the 10s and one is the singles. If you roll under 60, you succeed. If it's a hard roll, you have to roll under half your strength. And if it's a really hard roll, you have to under roll under a fifth of your strength. So it's, the difficulty is based on your stat versus trying to match a certain target, um, which is you know whether pro or con. Like, should I everyone be trying the same roll, or is it make sense to have halves and fifths? But I th- I do think it's interesting where I could be like, okay, make a hard check, and then you know exactly what your target is, and you're rolling percentage dice to try to roll under a twelve um, or twelve or under. So that's that's the half and fifth rule of
0: that. That's crazy. Because then it's I don't know can I don't know if you can increase your stats at all, but like if you can, you'd have to increase that stat like five times before yes. you even get like one point in your fifth.
2: And the way the stat increases work is if you succeed at something during the game using a particular skill or stat, you'll get a little check mark next to it. And at the end of a session, if you continue on, if you have a little check mark next to it, you get to roll percentage dice. and in that case, you want to roll higher. Than your current value, and if you do, then you get to add one d10 to your current stat. So as your your stat goes up, it gets harder and harder to improve on it. But it's like session based improvement for kind of campaign play. But in a single in a one shot, you're never going to increase your your, st- your stats. It's, it is what it is. Now you also have a ton of skills that work the same exact way. So you're going to have all of these different skills. Um, And investigation isn't one skill. There are tons of different ways to acquire knowledge. But, and there's also a ton of different ways to perceive things. I can, you know, so you can hear and see and smell and taste and all those things. But that's the kind of the thing with it is it's very skill-based. It's a lot of percentage dice, but at the same time, it is not actually recommended that the keeper in this game, you're a keeper. If you're running the game, um, keeper of arcane knowledge, I believe is the full term, but keeper for short. Uh, you only really call for things when, when it really is like one of those things, edge of your seat. If you're trained in a particular skill and you're like, I want to do this, you typically just say, okay, you've discovered whatever. But if there's, you know, some reason why it'd be interesting if you failed, that's when you would do a roll. Now, Kitty, you've heard Delta Green played, um, and I'm assuming that all of these things apply there, but was there anything in your actual play that you listened to that you thought was like, oh, that's cool, or that's interesting, or that's like a standout difference than than D&D or fantasy settings?
1: Um, So a cool thing about this system is luck and calling for luck roles. I feel like you are trying to set me up to say
2: this.
1: (laughs) But uh, each character has a certain amount of luck. And sometimes, you know, if you're asking for something that's not necessarily um, like a skill role or kind of something else in the game, sometimes the keeper can ask you, well, roll luck. So, like, if you're, um, you know, trying to buddy up to someone, you might want to, like, you know, oh, like... They like some sort of thing. Do I have this kind of thing that I can, like, you know, bribe them with to open, you know, get them to share more information with us? And they'll say, oh, we'll roll luck. And you want to try to roll under your luck score. And sometimes the group might have to roll luck. And then it's up to the lowest player's luck to roll underneath their luck. Um, and you can lose luck. And if you are out of luck, I I think you just die, right?
2: <laughs> well, you don't necessarily just die. It's Standard, bad. <laughs> sanity would. So yeah, it's interesting about the luck stat, which is again, on a, on a scale from zero to 100, and you literally roll it when you're building your character, um, how lucky you get on there, mm-hmm. is you have these luck rolls, and you need to roll less than your luck value, but you can also spend luck. So let's go back to mm-hmm. Fletcher's example of I have 60 strength. And I need to break down this wooden door, so I'm like, okay, that's just a straight up strength roll. And Fletcher rolls a 72. Well, he didn't break down the roll, the door, right? He's like, he failed. And there are is a way of pushing it. So actually, let's let's talk about the pushing. So he's he's like, okay, well, I rolled a 72. Well, do you want to push? He's like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a running start and just push, put everything I have into that door. I'm like, okay, then you can make another attempt. And if he f- succeeds, great everything's fine. But if he fails, oops, something really bad happens now. like You've broken your collarbone or something like that. And that's the result of pushing that roll. But say he rolls a 65. Um, So now he's like, okay, well, I don't want to break my collarbone. So I'm going to spend luck points. I'm going to spend five luck points to get me to 60. Well, his luck is permanently lowered by five points. So now when he has to make a luck roll... He has a lower stat for luck. And that's kind of how that luck stat works in there. It's also used as a way for DMs to help players where the players just have no idea what they're going to do. It's like, all right, make a luck roll and I'll give you a hint is, is sort of a, a scapegoat there. <laughs> and then, of course, you have sanity. Now, sanity, every single time you see something that's not normal, you may have to make a sanity roll. And if you fail, you may take sanity damage. The hilarious thing about it, and I'm going to straight up call it hilarious because it's awesome. Um, If it, Well, let's see here. Player must roll D100. If the result is equal to or less than their intelligence, the investigator fully understands what has been seen and goes temporarily insane for one to 10 hours. What is hilarious here is the smarter you are, the more susceptible you are to learning about the Cthulhu mythos. Because you're like, I actually comprehend what's going on, and that's maddening. Where if you are like a simpleton, and I have like a 30 intelligence, and I just keep failing my intelligence roll, I'm like, oh, that's a cool tentacle. I wonder if I could hang a painting over it. I love Calamari. (laughs) I love Calamari. (laughs) That's going to be the name of your character, Calamari.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I'm down. I'm going to play... I don't even. I'm gonna play like a like a police officer named Calamari,
2: Frodo Captain Calamari, Calamari. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Captain Calamari. Yes, he's just gonna be a dumb simpleton. Yep. Like, so uh-oh. I think it's
1: interesting too. Another thing about um, sanity, insanity damage is that it's not just the like um, like otherworldly Cthulhu stuff that can give you sanity damage, but like also just like actual horrific things that can happen in real life. So there was one um, where, um, like, a teenager was injured and, like, or the teenager was murdered and just, like, realizing that the teenager had been murdered was, like, too horrific and they had to make a sanity roll and, like, see if this is something that, like, something that could happen in real life It's not mythological or anything. Like, those things can also give you sanity damage, which, you know, because people take sanity damage in real life. You know, it doesn't have to be a monster.
2: Yeah. To and imagine basically deal with that. the game is emulating anything that you would see in real life that would freak you out to you know to use the loosest term possible that is grounds for a sanity check. Mm-hmm. And it it could be anything. It doesn't have to be Cthulhu. Now, there is a, a max system in the game where if you see the same creature multiple times, eventually you become numb to that creature. So you can't lose more yeah. than ten points of sanity from, you know, seeing ghouls all over the place because eventually you're in like, oh yeah, ghouls exist. I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. And then you see, you know, tentacle monster and you're like, I that's just driving me even further crazy.
1: Yeah, there are different um things too. Like I know, um I think if you take like so so there's like occupations you can take. And if you're like a soldier, I feel like you are less susceptible to um, sanity damage from violence. Like you've just been inoculated against that kind of sanity damage. You've seen enough violence in your life that, oh, this doesn't freak me out anymore. Whereas, you know, an author just looking at the top of the list here doesn't have that same advantage there. So, you know, you have different kinds of characters will take different kinds of sanity damage based on their personal histories.
2: Yeah. And, you know, to that end, like soldiers and fighting in general, your hit points are relatively low. Um, you don't have the ability to heal them. Not like, again, there's no short rest to heal. The most hit points anyone could have is 20, but it's typically more in the like nine or 10 range. And a single shot from a weapon can kill you. Like, mm-hmm. it is a very, very non combat based game where you just don't want to fight because you're you're going to get beat up. And now, there are a couple other things. Well, first of all, let's talk about um, safety. And that's typically not something that we are concerned with in our group because we know each other and we are all very comfortable coming out and saying, that's a line, let's, let's stop that. Um, but Call of Cthulhu is one of those games where if you're playing it at a convention or whatnot – If you're going to be a player, you need to be comfortable setting boundaries. But if you have boundaries that are, I am not okay with seeing people murdered, don't play Call of Cthulhu. Like, just don't. This is not a game for you. Um, But as as someone who's running a game, you also have to be very aware of your table. Because there are topics that you can cover in a horror genre that are very easily... It, they can be very sensitive, right? So you have to just be careful. Now, we've been playing together forever. I know what boundaries I am not willing to bring up, and I know what boundaries that my players are not, you know, it's not going to be fun to to do those boundaries. So just keep that in mind. Um, but that said, there is a pulp version of um, Call of Cthulhu, which does allow you to play more of the... You know, kind of gritty hero. You're going to be a little bit more resistant. You're going to have some special abilities. I would say that Arkham Horror, the living card game and Mansions of Madness are pulp Cthulhu games. Your character has special abilities. Your character can fight back. Your character doesn't, you know, go crazy just because they see a monster. There's, there's multiple things that allow you to be able to survive. And the pulp version of Cthulhu is probably the one I would run if we were gonna do a campaign, because I think they're a little bit more, I don't wanna say fun, cause it's still called a Cthulhu, but survivable. Like you can imagine surviving those situations a little bit more. And I think that Delta Green kind of skirts that line of pulpiness. Where in a Delta Green game, you are expected to be competent enough to fight back. You know what you're investigating. You know what you're trying to find. And although it's not going to be something you're like, oh, great. Figured that horrendous creature (laughs) out. Um, You're going to be like, oh, horrendous creature. Got it. Just like that last one I saw on the last mission I was on.
1: Yeah, Delta Green is really interesting. um, Because I feel like, I mean, you're not... Like specially capable in any way. I think the only thing you have different is that there's resources there. So if even if you do not have the ability, like you, you have places to go to like look for the ability to deal with this kind of stuff. And you yes. might be able to deal with it, you know, like it, there's a range, it's, it's like any kind of game where like, you know, you can play it a lot of different ways and you can play it in a way where like, oh yeah, we are all like CIA, you know, special operatives and we are able to like, you know, kill anything. Uh, But that might not actually get you very far, you know, you need to have the kind of balanced team just like any role-playing game. So, you know, you might want to have a doctor. You might want to have, you know, somebody who's good at communication, like a journalist or something, who's going to have ties yeah. where we can get news stories pulled out of the paper or whatever it is. Y- we can you want kill. to have different
2: Yeah, we can kill <laughs> all these ghouls coming after us, no problem. But they were just a distraction so the cultists could finish their ritual and bring whatever elder one into the world and destroy it. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to so, figure out what's going on and why.
1: Um, oh, it's my bedtime. Sorry. Apparently, <laughs> Disturb is not on. <laughs> um, Finally, so... huge thank you to
0: our current patrons. <laughs> <laughs> but that's if a good only segue. only Chris
1: would
2: <laughs> yeah, let me no, do that. Oh, no it's way. bedtime. Sorry. Mm. But that's a good segue into the next topic. And then, Fletcher, I want to ask you this. You yeah. played a lot of D&D. Mm-hmm. How can you imagine a way for us to be sitting around a table and actually you being scared, like you, the player, being scared at what's going on?
0: Um, I can't imagine that. Cause no. it's just a game, right? It's just a game. Yeah. And we're just sitting around like, you know, a dining room counter and we're just rolling dice and drinking. Drinking Mountain Dew and eating Cheetos. like
2: Yeah, with Captain Calamari, which is, you know, everyone's laughing every time Ex- his name comes up. <laughs> yeah.
0: I can't imagine me being, like, legitimately frightened. Or even, like, in, in a in a movie sense. Like, you know, like, being, like, I don't know, feeling, like, a lot of suspense. You know? So, I Kitty... Think, I can't imagine that happening.
2: So, Kitty, it's same question to you. Like, so you listened to an entire actual play of Delta Green. Was there ever a time where you were, like, on edge?
1: There are times where, like... It gets creepy, but it's not like, oh, I'm scared, like, sitting there. But, like, you know, it's like when you're trying to fall asleep, like, six hours later, and you're like, ugh, that was actually really creepy. Like, you, it's not scary, but you can, like, I feel like the the cosmic horrors can, like, you know, like, sink into the back of your mind, and it's like something like, Oh man, I would not want to encounter that. And, like you can let your imagination you, you get can, away with you at some point, but it's not something like you know. There's no you like can freak jump yourself scares.
0: out later about it when you're thinking about yeah.
1: it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, I I enjoy freaking myself out. It's you know, like I listen to a bunch of true crime stuff. You know, <laughs> like that's it's part of my uh, enjoyment you read of life. All the time. <laughs> no, I'm not that bad, but um, you know. I do enjoy, um, you know, like, horror movies, but I really like the, like, slow burn creepy. I don't like a lot of, like, jump scare or, like, you know.
0: Yeah, I don't like that either.
1: That kind of stuff. So I, I, I like that this fits into that kind of, like, slow burn of, like... You can, like, set the mood to, like, get yourself creeped out later.
2: And, th- and that's the challenge for running a game like that. So I've never run a Cthulhu game before. I played in one. Um, and honestly, our keeper wasn't the greatest at keeping us in the mindset um and I was like totally buy it in, bought in, right? And it's like, "Oh, well we have to wait, so we'll just chat about, you know, current events or whatever the case is." Like that is de- definitely something that's off limits. Side conversations to try to keep a game I don't want to say scary, but creepy or and, and, and or intense. You have to eliminate side conversations and like basically out of game topics. And this is why in two weeks, you guys won't actually create characters. I mean, I, they're all going to be pre-made characters. And that is a great way to get into a game like this, where you don't have to worry about that. You, you're not really metaing the system because you're not building a character that does whatever. And I can create a party that is, okay, this is, this works for what we're trying to do.
0: And as long as I'm Captain Calamari.
2: Well, as long as we'll have a Captain Calamari in there for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, it really gives, sets that atmosphere. Yeah, really set the <laughs> atmosphere. But it also got, allows you to play these characters like, and I just love the term, play them like you stole them. Like, these characters are disposable.
1: <laughs> See, I like to think of it, it's like a rental car.
2: Okay. It's not <laughs> entirely
1: disposable. I want to hold on to it, but, you know, if I lose it, oh well. Yes. But it, it's not It's quite. a you
0: but... I've always wanted to try (laughs) (laughs) four-wheeling.
2: But so what I'm attempting to do, and one of the things I'm going to do for this, this particular thing is everything at the table is in character. Everything. If you're talking, you're talking not necessarily like in character voices and things like that. But if you guys are discussing amongst yourselves what you should do, your characters are discussing amongst themselves what they should do. And what that does is eliminate the metagaming that can come out of a DD and d session that makes it, you know, it's a, it, this is a problem to be solved. Whereas, oh, we have to deal with these cultists and how are we going to do this? Well, if you have, if there's like a half a dozen of you in a hallway arguing over the best way to approach this, likely one of these guys are going to come over and be like, um, maybe you should just come with us as I point this, you know, classic AK something or other at you, Right. And I think that that can build a certain amount of, uh, I, I, like, seriousness-ish. I don't know. Like, this is all, this is an experiment for all of us. But I'm just curious, like, your thoughts on, like, that kind of rule that we typically don't have at the table.
1: Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, Kitty hard. loves it.
1: <laughs> I, no, I I like it in theory. It's hard, though, because, you know, we're a big talking group, we enjoy our discussions <laughs> and I think it might um, minimize that and kind of take away from um, some of that table time, but it also leads to more fun stuff sometimes too of like, you know
2: This is a game that's not meant to be fun do end up in
1: these like situations It is meant to be fun, <laughs> if it's not meant to be fun, why do people play it? It might not, it, it's it's a different kind of fun, it's a different sure, kind of fun but it yes. should be fun Everything if it's a game it should be fun.
2: Yeah. Now I'm not saying that there is no out of player talk. I'm just saying the default is in player talk. The default is if you're conversing unless you say otherwise, it's your characters conversing.
1: Yeah. Um and I like it. I it's just I'm not used to it. I'm going to have to to give it a go, you know, but like sometimes you don't know that you enjoy something until you yeah. try it.
2: And this is why we're doing a one shot and not starting a campaign. Yeah. And and the scenario that we'll be playing is 100% a hundred percent a one shot. There will be no continuation. There will be no possibility of continuing these characters um, for knows. whatever He's reason. gonna
1: murder us all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fine.
2: Arr. Fletcher, what do you think about that? Default um, in player everything.
0: It'll definitely be different from what I used to. From what I'm used to, because in your campaigns and pretty much every D and D campaign I've played in the past. The default is like out of player, like out of game talk. And then you then you'll narrate and you'll say like, oh, I say to, you know, Drag Thor, the NPC or whatever. You know, you come up with your crafted response or your idea of what you want to say. So it'll definitely be interesting. I'm not. It's just something I need to experience.
2: Well, and actually your guys's reactions make me think that this is the right way to go to switch the expectations of we're not, we're not just playing D&D with a Cthulhu setting, we're playing a different game, right? Cuz that's that's really the mindset in order to make something yeah. intense. Intense is probably the the right term. Like to add an intensity to the game, you have to shake it up a little bit. It can't just be running D&D with percentage dice. It's that's not the the <laughs> premise of the game. With Cthulhu. With Cthulhu.
1: Well, I mean, if we wanted to just play Cthulhu D&D, they make like, you know, yeah. love crafting horror D&D settings. You can just do that. You know, I feel like Chris is looking. Yep, there he goes. Right there.
2: <laughs> this is <Yep>. Sandy Peterson's <laughs> Cthulhu Mythos. He is the person who wrote the Call of Cthulhu, much of the Call of Cthulhu game. And this is a fifth edition supplement for Cthulhu. It is how to add Cthulhu to a fantasy setting, which is fine, except you have superheroes in a fantasy setting. And Mm -hmm. all of these monsters have stats that mean that you can go and and kill them. Now, I'm not saying you can't run an intense D&D game. You can. It's just harder. It's harder to challenge superheroes versus everyday people. Yes. So that still sounds interesting. Yeah. All right. Now, let's assume for a moment that we play next, or I think it's a week from Sunday, um, we play, you guys like the system, you like the intensity, and I'm like, okay, well, these characters cannot continue on. We'd have to make our own, make new characters, but would that be a system? Would, would, just in general, and again, I know you guys haven't played it, but would this type of setting be interesting to you for a long-term campaign? And When I say long-term, I'm talking, you know, six months to a year worth of story. That may spy on multiple characters because some of your characters are going to die or there's going to be, you know, you're going to play multiple characters that are in different areas of the world communicating with each other or something like that.
0: I mean, yeah, if I had fun. Yeah, I don't think I would necessarily get bored of the setting or the genre. I just I don't have a lot of experience in the genre. So I'm not, you know, I'm not just going to say like, no, (laughs) I hate it. Well,
1: since I've been threatening to run Delta Green for months, I feel like that should be answer enough of like, yes, I'm interested in doing this longer term. Um, And in fact, I might be interested in running something longer term. I just don't have, you know, time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if Chris wants to take that off my plate and I just get to show up and play, then yeah, that sounds great.
2: <laughs> and and I could basically I could do a Delta Green um campaign as well cuz it's really not that different. Um it's no. just a matter of where your, char- your, like your character your character build options are are primarily the main difference things. Now Delta Green actually started as a licensed of uh, v- uh Supplement to Call of Cthulhu 7th, or well, Call of Cthulhu in general, but I think around 7th edition or shortly after, um, Delta Green became its own game. So while it has the same, uh, character generation and the same kind of premise, there's a lot of other options that you can get in there. Terrence wants you to do a uh, Delta Green podcast actual play.
0: <laughs> but you said Delta Green takes place like in modern day.
2: And Delta yeah. Green is modern
0: day, yeah. Okay. I guess, uh, I'm not going to poo poo it because I never tried it but i like the uh the 20s or 30s kind of like art deco so it's funny because
1: i'm very much into 1920s i love you know art deco great gatsby love it all um and i thought i would like it better but after having listened to an actual play in both settings i prefer delta green because it does a really good job of, like, feeling creepier because it feels more familiar. And it's also Hmm. easier to roleplay in some ways because you are reacting like you, you know? Like, sure, it's a character, but, like, it is a character who has the same knowledge and resources in general that you do. They know how to use the internet. They have an iPhone. You know, you can do these things that it's just, like, so hard to think of, like, oh, well... What kind of technology is there? I have to put myself in a period piece. I have to think, you know, like, and y- you don't have to kind of worry as much about the like, well, well, what about you know, this kind of obscure thing? I don't know. It's it's more fun because you have to think less about the day to day. You can think more about the special. What parts. you
0: would do? Yeah. I yeah. guess that And makes I was, sense as opposed, and to, I will like, say, I call so and so.
2: Yeah, and it's a lot easier to run, too, because one of the mm-hmm. things that I'm going to have to do for our our one shot is I need to brush up on my 1920s. Like, honestly, I've, I've read quite a bit of it now because the books have a ton ah, of history see? and stuff. But, like, do our phones a thing that you can just get everywhere? Like, do you Absolutely know off the top not. of your head? Yeah, <laughs> no. Right? It's, no, they're, they're, they're not they're, around. Telegram. Yeah, they're far more common than you would think, but they're not so common that everyone has one. And cars, you know, another thing where it's like they're in the early 20s, there weren't a lot of them. In the late 20s, there were quite a few of them. And those types of things, if you want to keep it kind of realistic, you have to pay attention to that. But then again, if none of your players know what the truth is, maybe it doesn't matter. But it's it's <laughs> well, one of those things like that's that tricky. Just,
1: do you have a car? But like, how fast does a car go? How easy is yeah. it to drive? Does your character know how to drive?
0: How long they're does it like, take to start? Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> Somebody's chasing you. Do you just run in and turn the key? No. I but I'm not sure how much longer than that it does take. I don't know. There's there's a lot more that you can worry about. Not that you have to necessarily, though. But like to me, it's just another level of like taking me out of myself. There. It's like it's one more step. And you know, sometimes maybe that's a good thing, and sometimes maybe it's a bad thing.
2: Yeah, I am going to try for this, this one shot, that this should fix all of those problems um, because I, I have to take all those <laughs> things into consideration as well. And I'm not going to spoil it here on the podcast. We will talk about it probably in a post-credits um, after we've played. We'll talk about the, the session. But yeah, all of these things are things that I need to consider when running this. Because I've never really... The 1920s is like, okay, prohibition and flappers and, you know, it was basically a... It was... It was a very pro- – uh, I don't i don't think progressive is the right term, but it was very um, – uh, people – economically, things were great as they were approaching the cliff of the Great Depression. But in the 20s, <laughs> yeah. it was the high. The right? roaring like, 20s. It was the roaring 20s, like all kinds of things. And it is crazy to think that we are in the 20s right now. A hundred years from now, people are going to talk about it. – it's like, yeah, how do you even play in the 2020s? I mean, did they even have transporter systems? I don't know. And – you know, it's the stuff that they have that we don't even can't even fathom right now. That's really the the weird stuff, right?
1: How common is indoor plumbing in the
2: 1920s? Fairly common. So there are still outhouses, but indoor plumbing is is fairly common. I think it depends on like during city or not. Glad to know that you've already not. thought about
1: that. It's something <laughs> that I try to incorporate in my role playing more. Is you know, my character needs to pee. Where do is I go? Is there a bathroom? <laughs> Now I'm washing my hands because I'm not an animal.
2: Yeah, well, and this is why we have the the bathroom skill that we've custom added to D anD. D. So <laughs> yeah. we did
1: find the bathrooms. Yep. I will yep. have you remember.
2: Yeah, and in case you're wondering, it is a dexterity based skill. So, um, just just so you know. But yeah, I was a 1d20 for how deserves. long you wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I say, I'm looking forward to this. I think that. The system itself um, is fine. Like there's nothing really wrong with it at all. I I would be fine running it in a D20 system as well. But I think by changing the system, it's easier to change the mindset of the same players. So that's why I want to just be like, okay, here's a percentage dice. I will ask you to roll those from time to time. And you just want to roll low. Like that's easy enough where those are essentially the rules. But depending on if we want to do long-term or not, Maybe maybe I do switch it back to a D20 system that we're all a little bit more familiar and comfortable with. Maybe we stick with the, you know, 7th edition stuff. I bought way too many books, so I have plenty of material to uh, use. But um, yeah, so that is Call of Cthulhu, 7th edition, and we're going to play it this month and see how it plays, and we'll let everyone know on the other side. Terrence says, or learn Cortex. Um, Eh, Cortex is okay. I would rather do Genesis probably than Cortex, but um, maybe we'll talk about Cortex system and Genesis and just all these uh, generic role-playing systems next month just to kind of give people an idea of the pros and cons of using a system that is generic, which is ironic because... Call of Cthulhu is based off of a system literally called the generic role-playing system. Like, that is the base system under Call of Cthulhu, which is everything is percentage-based. But I think that those systems can be complicated if it's like, here's the generic system, and now you can apply any theme you want on top of it, go. It's just a ton of work, which is why people play you know Call of Cthulhu, because they've already done all that work for you. All right. So that said, anything else on Cthulhu? Anything I've missed? Any any last comments? Any terrified, ex- you know, necessities for our session? <laughs> <laughs> nope. I don't know.
1: I just remembered I have to find a babysitter. And that's terrifying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can do it. Call a babysitter. Call of
1: babysitter. <laughs> and What's Herman up to? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're in the basement. Uh, we can play at your place if that's easier, because um, it's easy to get Sydney's parents to stay with the kids here. Well, we can figure
1: that out off the podcast. <laughs> Maybe.
2: But this is what we do. Honestly, we only talk on the podcast. I was so going to say, this is, is like, <laughs>
1: too real to our lives. This is our planning sessions. All
2: right. So, that said... Um, Let's see. I've gotten most people responded from our drawing last week. I have not responded to any of you. So if you're hearing this and I haven't responded to you, I've read your emails, I've seen your response. I just haven't replied yet. I will do that this week. And I just don't care. I just don't care. <laughs> I just I just don't. I was listening to the Covenant cast this week and they were talking about the behind the scenes logistics of everything that everyone that interacts with them just assumes and then then they're like yeah but we have to do this this and this and we're manually doing that and that and just so everyone knows i'm basically the only one that ever checks the email or does the show notes or does you know shipping and packaging and all of that not i'm not casting shade on fletcher and kitty i don't ask them to do that so along with my day job and along with kids um these things can easily slip days and sometimes you know, a week or two, I have not forgot about you. It's just a matter of being able to get to things in a order that makes sense for life. Um, but I will get to you, I promise. Kitty, save me.
1: Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find a link for that in the show notes too. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the Support Us link. And there's a link in the show notes too.
0: Uh, i think facebook might still be down but you could give it a you could give it a shot <laughs> it was uh,
1: at least instagram was working before the podcast okay. so right. <laughs>
0: hopefully by the time you read you listen uh, facebook is working <laughs> finally a huge thank you to our current patrons adam harrison miles clark the gift of games sahara wentworth jason strong john lewis joe hoover jeremy fisher terence Milner, sean peck christopher dong Jennifer for Brian Arnold, Michael Yanakowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Anne Reynolds, Christopher Letgo, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Raxad, Weatherman Keith, Paul Ramer, Jim, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Drope, David Rang, Nicholas Lotz, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Cindy Loom, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Baz Flintham, Eric Solander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Dan Seed, Brian Ellett, Danita Hersey, Courtney Falk, David Wagner, uh, David, if you haven't wrote in, please do, because I don't want to butcher your name every time.
2: <laughs> Wagoner.
0: Sean Wagoner? Okay. Yeah, like, like, a Wag- wagon,
2: like a wagon maker. Wagoner.
0: Wagoner, got it. Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, da- Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, Ronald Roy, Tony Simpkins, David Garner, and Darren McClellan.
2: And thank you to everyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So Kitty, my um plan for pre made characters I can't do all on my own, so I have to let you in on a little secret of the scenario. Um are Ooh. you up for that or should I have Fletcher do it? Is Fletcher more trustworthy? I no. No. You're
1: you're right, Fletcher.
2: I should probably maybe Fletcher can help me. <laughs> <laughs>